Welcome to the Geekcentric Podcast. On today's episode, we're getting big thunder on the big screen. We're talking Wednesday on a Wednesday, and we embrace the new lord of IP. All this and everything else that happened this week in Geek. Hey, it's Nate, and if you're joining us for the first time, we are Geekcentric, a podcast celebrating the world of movies, TV shows, toys, collectibles, gaming, and all things Geekcentric. Joining me on the show for this week in Geek, he's my national treasure, Justin Lawrence. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so touched that I would be your national treasure. <laughs> well, I mean, there's three of us. There's three of us. There is so, three. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you know, we each yeah. get one, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> um, but before we, before we get into whatever that means, um, I want to start off by mentioning that we are officially back in Westeros, Justin, it feels so good to be back in Westeros, but, um, I, I, I don't think we can, you know what, we'll save the dragon talk for the end of this podcast. Um, because I actually wanted to kick things off though. There was a little, a little tease, a little snippet, a little tiny clicker tease of, uh, some footage that we got. We actually got our very first footage just before House of the Dragon, House of the, I can't even talk, the House of the Dragon premiere, I'm so excited. Uh, We got (laughs) some footage for HBO's The Last of Us. Justin, what did you think? We got Pedro Pascal, we got Bella Ramsey, uh, in in this brief glimpse of the show. Well, I love that they, you know, in this little teaser, we got uh, Pedro Pascal as as Joel Mm -hmm. with with his line, uh, you know. The line. (laughs) Yeah, the line. You know, you have no idea what loss uh, feels like and that's great as as its own teaser just just to see him say that and to also have you know we're both fans of the game so we understand the context of of what that what that means and the footage that we saw we, we it looks like we are going to see his story obviously told i wonder if they're going to follow the same outline as the game where that's how we're, we're introduced to the situation and into this world is is through joel and and through his experience uh and um, yeah, I thought I thought that was that was cool because it, at least in the trailer, that is very much sort of the first thing that we see among these epic landscape shots that look so beautiful and stunning. The vastness, the scopes of of you know shooting. I believe they're shooting in Calgary, mm-hmm. uh, so they're obviously they're they're putting that landscape to work. But this was the perfect tease for us to get. Well, it's interesting you bring up the idea of like how much are they really going to pull in. That is exactly like the games. How much are they going to stay away from it? Like the line, you have no idea what loss is, is such a powerful moment in the in the sh- uh, the, the game. Um, so to see it show up in the show like this, and I think the line delivery from Pedro. Pedro was the right choice for Joel. Looks, He looks just, he's perfect for it. Um, but I, I am wondering how much they are going to, you know, again, stay to the the game and or or go different like they uh they cast recently they cast uh lamar johnson as henry and uh kayvon woodard i believe as sam and uh and there's a bit of a difference in in age there for those characters so they have already announced that yes that that is going to be a slightly different storyline um and so i feel like they're you know they're going to uh, probably do things a little bit differently but i mean bill like nick offerman as bill here looks phenomenal i loved i loved the shot of him because it's just it, it it's so nick offerman and it's to see nick offerman playing bill it's it's just as much of a character casting that fits 
very much like Pedro Pascal being casted as Joel. And I think yeah. that what's great is that even in this trailer, we get to see how Pedro's really going to bring an emotional resonance to his portrayal of Joel. And I mean, with the original voice actor, like Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, um, who voiced Joel and Ellie, are actually going to be in the show, right? So so we, we've seen pictures of them uh, with Neil Druckmann on set. And so um, that's super cool, too. And again, I think that leads to the idea that, you know, even though you know the game, like we know the game inside and out because we played it so many times, I think it's going to be really cool to to still get those surprises but i will say the world looks excellent the idea of like i just love the idea like hbo has the balls to do like an extended scene with no dialogue you know what i mean like just like give me give me a 10 minute scene of no dialogue because joel and ali can't make any sounds or talk for certain parts of the game and, and and put that in there give me the crunch of snow as they walk across the bridge like i the 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 the, the footage that they showed looks perfect and I will say there is a scene uh, that we do see with him running with Sarah who I can't remember the actress who plays Sarah but I, I got a little I even got a little choked up just because I know I know what they're running towards <laughs> and for anyone who's played the game you know what they're running towards in that moment and so um, yeah dude I'm so stoked for this I'm so stoked for this it's gonna be interesting though because I think we've talked about it numerous times it's like did this really need to be a series it's going to be great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. You know, but like the game itself was such a fulfilling and complete experience as its own art form and medium that I don't know. It, this this is the big question that the series will answer. Was it is it going to be worth it? And I think that's what's going to really be the the major measure of success for the show when it does debut. Hopefully. Hopefully sometime, uh, I guess, next year is, I think, what they're aiming for. So uh, we will have to wait and see. I guess House of the Dragons is, that's HBO's big thing this year to kick us off. And then hopefully early next year, I'm hoping, uh, Last of Us is uh, is maybe what we, we kind of focus on. Um, but listen, we've got a ton of news and trailers to get to. So let's just get to the news. It's all about the details. All right, our first news story here. The Lord of the Rings has a new rights owner. Uh, this comes from Ollie Welsh over at Polygon. Embracer Group, the ambitious, acquisition-hungry Swedish gaming conglomerate, that's a mouthful, has bought the rights to make films, games, merchandise, and theme parks based on J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. The deal comes as a surprise, reporting on the anticipated sale of the rights by the Saul Zentz company early this year. Variety said the buyer was expected to be a Hollywood studio or tech giant. Amazon, which is about to debut its streaming series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, was a prime candidate. I like that, uh, that writing there, Ollie. Uh, Variety also said Said the rights were expected to sell for at least $2 billion. Although the purchase price was undisclosed, it appears that Embracer has acquired Middle Earth Enterprises, the Zanes company subsidiary that owns the rights for significantly less than that. Embracer announced the deal alongside five other smaller acquisitions, Limited Run Games, uh, which if you're a gamer, that's, that's a pretty big deal uh, for them to get Limited Run. Uh, they also, uh, I believe... 
Tripwire Interactive, the developer and publisher of games like Killing Floor and Maneater. Uh, Singtrix, a company that creates vocal effects technology for karaoke and gaming. Uh, and Tuxedo Labs, developer of the destruction game Teardown. Uh, the sixth and final acquisition remains a secret for now, but Embracer said that it was the third or fourth largest of the deals, so it's not major. In a financial note, Embracer said the likely total cost of acquiring the six businesses over a period of time is expected to be $8.2 billion uh, Swedish krona, which is around $788 million. Uh, even if we assume the value of Middle Earth Enterprises makes up the vast majority of that, stu- that sum, it's still less than half of what the prized Lord of the Rings rights were expected to fetch. Middle Earth Enterprises and now Embracer owns the worldwide rights to, the, to make films, video games, board games, merchandise, theme parks, and stage productions relating to the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit. But there are several caveats and exemptions uh, and question marks over the extent of these rights. For instance, the publishing rights uh, to the books themselves are not included. They remain with the Tolkien estate and publisher HarperCollins. The licensing rights to Tolkien's other Middle-Earth works, The Cimmerillion and The Unfinished Tales of Numenor and Middle-Earth, are also still controlled by the Tolkien estate and HarperCollins. Although Embracer says it now owns matching rights to these works, meaning it has the right to match any offer the owners may get from elsewhere. TV rights are another major exclusion. Per Variety, the right uh, to produce a TV series longer than eight episodes was carved out of the deal Tolkien's estate made with, with Saul Zentz back in 1970, meaning that Amazon was able to deal with the estate directly when it bought those rights in 2017, cutting Middle Earth Enterprises out of the deal. Nevertheless, Embracer says Middle Earth Enterprises has financial interests in the Rings of Power as well as in Warner Bros. upcoming animated film The War of Rohirrim and EA's in-development mobile game Heroes of Middle Earth. Finally, there is a question mark over the extent of the film's rights Embracer has just bought. Warner Bros., though its subsidiary New Line Cinema, the studio behind Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit trilogy, has held the rights for years, but prior to the sale, the Saul Zenz company was arguing that the rights reverted uh, to it in 2021 because Warner Bros. had not been actively developing new film projects. According to Variety, Warner Bros. didn't agree, and it's entirely possible, uh, Ollie writes, that the War of the Rohirrim was greenlit precisely so Warner Bros. lawyers couldn't dispute this claim. It's the only reason it seems they might be making that series. I mean, uh, beyond the idea that it's a it's a dope-ass series. It happens a lot. Um, it yes. happens a lot. <laughs> so that's a lot of asterisks, in particular if, if there have been developments in the legal wrangle with, with Warner Bros., um, that makes, and I mean, they've got a lot of problems right now. So that makes the film rights look even slightly less secure. Uh, and that would have deterred many Hollywood buyers and maybe brought down the asking price of Middle Earth Enterprises, just with everything that might be going on at, at WB. So, Justin, with uh, with one Embracer group to rule them all, one Embracer group to find them, one Embracer group to bring them all and in the darkness buy them, uh, what are your thoughts on this huge acquisition? And how do you think it could affect the Lord of the Rings going forward? So I, I think that it's safe to say that they're probably going to be collaborators that are going to mm-hmm. financially benefit from a gaming standpoint though like yeah. this is a world that should be expanded because like honestly it seems like the lord of the rings mythology and the lore is pretty perfect for a gaming experience um so and, and i think honestly it's immensely valuable for lord of the rings to expand their lore through gaming 
I mean, we have, you know, Middle of Earth, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, um, you know, those games from EA um, have been, you know, pretty, pretty popular. Or sorry, Monolith uh, Productions is the one that, that developed those, um, have been pretty popular. And, you know, I, I think from a standpoint of those games, they're far enough away from the the official you know, the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit in the sense that they play within that world, but they don't have to necessarily be, you know, do, who owns the rights to the word orcs and and that sort of thing. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is to me, I, I, I'm not so much worried about the games as I am the, the just the characters. I think, um, you know, I, I think when you, when you have the world and these characters stretched out over so many different companies, it it starts to get a little bit worrisome for for I think the fandom because you know I know Rings of Power isn't taking place during the time frame of the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings trilogy but I imagine that there's gonna be maybe more seasons of the Amazon show and so you you have to think like they might plan on bringing in some of these characters who are who live for you know hundreds of years within this world maybe they you know near the end of this show's run they they had plans to bring in some of these characters that now maybe they don't have access to. Right. Like as much as Embracer Group wants to see the financial well-being of that show, it's like, is Amazon going to be like, oh, well, we really want to bring in this specific elf, but they are a part of the rights for for the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit. Right. And it's like it reminds me so much of what's going on with Marvel and Spider-Man, where Marvel can use certain characters, but not all of them because of Sony. Right. Or the fact that we didn't get X-Men for so long within the MCU. It's like, is, how, how, does, how does this affect going forward? Does this mean we don't get Legolas referenced in anything outside Embracer Group's projects, right? Like, again, this is just where it starts to get really dicey. And I, I think it's actually more of a, uh, a detriment to, to a franchise like this when these things happen rather than, than a good thing. Because you know what? I'll be honest with you. Embracer Group has been eating up. They used to be THQ Nordic. They've been eating up and buying and buying and buying so many things. They haven't made anything. They really haven't made anything of note uh, lately that has really taken the world by storm. They've done a few things, but honestly, it's like, the, it, what are they buying for? Like, what? What? Show, show, show me your work, Embracer Group. I want to see your work. <laughs> if they play nice with with Amazon and right, and and we get we get an interconnected world, that's fine with me. I just I hope it does because I think the the the. The scary part for me is that we just don't know. We, like, if this was, if if it was Disney buying them, we know the the pedigree, we know the track record, right? If this was, if this was the Lord of the Rings owned by Disney, awesome. Even if this was the Lord of the Rings owned by Amazon wholeheartedly at this point, I'd kind of be behind it because the Rings of Power looks fantastic, and and obviously time will tell if the, if that series actually, you know, is is going to be everything we want it to be from Amazon with with that property. Um, but it's just the fact that we just for me, it's just scary because I just don't know who who's who's the the new, uh, you know, holder of the we ring. We don't know anything about it. No, I yeah. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who holds the ring of power? I totally right. get it. And, and I, I think you're right. I think it's about collaboration and the two working together um, and, and to know so. that it's going to benefit both parties. It, it, I think that's very much what uh, is to be celebrated from the relationship between Marvel and Sony is that they can come together, work on a project, mm-hmm. um, and and benefit from it uh, f- on both ends. Granted, Sony will mm-hmm. go rogue and do their own 
Spider-Verse things that are, are far less impactful and far less meaningful. And, you know, fans know that. Fans know and recognize that when Sony and Marvel are working together versus when Sony decides to go and make a Morbius. So I think it's just about us as fans right. understanding and trusting in the creative process and knowing how to draw the line between the two. Well, I don't know, man. With Embracer Group just buying everything, next thing you know, they'll start buying rights to old Disney theme park rides. Our next story, Big Thunder Mountain movie in the works from Disney and Hawkeye duo Bert and Birdie. This comes from Aaron Couch of The Hollywood Reporter. Hawkeye directors Bert and Birdie are staying in the Disney family, the duo who helmed three episodes of the Marvel Disney Plus series, uh, have signed on to direct a feature for Disney based on the theme park attraction, Big Thunder Mountain. Margot Robbie's Lucky Chap Entertainment and Ridley Scott's Scott Free will produce, with Bert and Birdie directing from a script by Kieran uh, and Michelle Mulrooney, uh, or sorry, Mulroney, uh, the married screenwriting pair whose credits include Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, uh, and the 2017 Power Rangers reboot. Big Thunder Mountain, which is at multiple Disney parks, takes place in a mining town amid the gold rush of the 1800s. Disaster inevitably strikes the attraction, which is hit by either an earthquake in California and Paris, tsunami in Tokyo, or a flash flood in Florida. A decade ago, Disney-owned network ABC developed... Um, a Western pilot based on the attraction from writer of Ice Age Continental Drift, Jason Fuchs, uh, and Fast and Furious scribe Chris Morgan, executive producing. That series didn't even make it off the ground. Disney has already struck gold uh, in the past by turning its theme park attractions into films with the Pirates of the Caribbean, spawning five films that starred Johnny Depp, uh, and it released Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt's Jungle Cruise amid the pandemic, and the uh, it also has the Rosario Dawson starrer Haunted Mansion due out in 2023. British duo Bert and Birdie directed the Sundance feature Troop Zero and recently helmed episodes of the HBO Max series Our Flag Means Death, uh, which is promising. Uh, Deadline first reported the news of their involvement in the Big Thunder Mountain films. Justin, how familiar are you with the Big Thunder Mountain ride, and does this do anything for you? Um, I'm familiar with the ride. I've never been on it. Um, I, 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 it's at Magic Kingdom, if I'm not mistaken. Is it at Disneyland 2? It's, it's in both. I feel like it would be something that you might have seen and then purposely stayed away from because you're back. Like it's like it's super rickety and it's kind of shaky and I've ridden I've ridden both of them in California and Florida. I had no idea that it was supposed to be like an earthquake or a flash flood subplot involved. Like it's barely <laughs> it's barely even established that it's an old mine. Like to me, it's just a train on a mountain. So like I I think to me like I I don't know what to expect from a movie like this, and I think that might be where it even might have more potential than something like a Jungle Cruise. You know what I mean? Because, like, there's really not too many expectations that they could be ruining for fans. Like, there's not going to be anyone out there that's like, oh, the train doesn't look the same <laughs> as on the ride, so now I'm not going to see your movie. Like, like I think there's, there's, there's so much that they could do to craft a story in and around it um, and maybe even push Disney to update some of the lore uh, and make it a little bit more of a presence at the park. Cause I think the ride itself, you know, for fans of Disney is a very iconic, like it's been around forever uh, kind of ride, but it just, to me, I just don't think there's really a story. Right. They, they I think the, what you mentioned about sort of the cross pollination, you know, they, they do a movie, they, they steep it in, in a historical lore. Yeah. They make it very relevant. 
Uh, and maybe what they do is they bring that over and help rebrand the ride while still keeping the nostalgia of of Big Thunder. I think that's a that's a win. That's a way to refresh um, the ride. I think that's what Tomorrowland almost was meant to do in some ways uh, as a movie to kind of refresh the park, but it did not. Uh, <laughs> anyways, <No. laughs> uh, we'll we'll see how it goes because as as mentioned with with Tomorrowland, I think it's it's an interesting choice to try to take a ride and expand it to yeah. tell a, a meaningful story around a ride. Like I think that's that is the art of of doing a movie like this. I love Bert and Bertie. I think that they're a yes, great duo true. and you know they did they did great stuff with Hawkeye and 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 most recently uh, Our Flag Means Death. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how with the writing duo you know, they, they wrote Power Rangers uh, from 2007, which was an okay movie. It wasn't great, mm-hmm. um, but it had some camp because it's Power Rangers. And at the end of the day, this movie could benefit mm-hmm. from from some camp. I'm most excited about the, the connections to Our Flag Means Death. I think, if anything, that means that maybe we might get like a really solid cast here. And I think... Uh you know, bringing in, bringing in, a, I think that's what you need in order to carry something like this is you need to have that solid cast that people are going to be like, I want to go see the movie for that reason. Yeah. And I think, you know, with Margot Robbie's production company, Lucky Chap behind this movie, I think it's great. It might even be a bit subtle hint that she could potentially be in this movie, but I don't know. She's, she's pretty busy and I'm sure she's got a lot on, on her plate, but you know, again, having someone like you know Ridley Scott behind it you know it's gonna have production value so I'm interested Margot Robbie Ridley Scott they're both uh also I think just like you they're national treasures uh our third story here national treasure three script is in the works and being sent to uh not the beast Nicolas Cage very soon according to Jerry Bruckheimer this comes from Ryan Scott at Slash Film for the first time in a long time we may have some actual hope that national treasure three might just be happening uh we're still a pretty long ways away from the long-awaited sequel actually getting a green light from Disney but mega producer Jerry Bruckheimer did just offer an encouraging update on the matter indicating that Nicolas Cage will hopefully have a script in his hands in the not too distant future Bruckheimer is currently promoting the home video release of Top Gun Maverick uh, and had a chat it's so weird to say home video release of Top Gun it's like no the streaming release <laughs> of Top Gun Maverick whatever uh, and had a chat with the folks at comicbook.com during the conversation the producer gave an update on the sequel that has seemingly been stalked out uh, sorry stalled out for years now uh, as Bruckheimer tells it the script is currently being worked on he thinks it's good and they intend to send it to Cage soon quote we're working on the script right now hopefully Cage likes it uh, but it's it's really good so I think we'll be getting it to him shortly it is a little unclear at the moment who precisely is working on the script as the film has been quietly in development for a very long time as National Treasure Book of Secrets came out way back in 2007. But this is a promising uh, development directly from one of the key creatives involved. So my question here, Justin, in terms of this actually happening, how much do you think this has to do with the success of the Disney Plus show? I think that that would definitely be a huge uh, part in them greenlighting. I think it's also just having the script, right? But again, if they can get a good script and get Nicolas Cage on board, mm-hmm. then that's enough. Like literally, that's enough. Yeah. Right. Uh, for for them to, I I would think at least to greenlight it. Uh, you know, you have Jerry Bruckheimer behind it, right? Uh, you have the actor that ha- you know was in the other two movies. You bring back the other cast, which will more than likely come back because Nick Cage is coming back. Um, I feel like. If anything, the series is a way for them to keep the world relevant. 
mm-hmm. and maybe have some hints at the potential of a National Treasure 3 um, in the show itself right. that can ha- help hint at it and build towards that. It might be really smart because a lot of people would say, well, why wouldn't you do the movie and then have the movie lead into the series? No, it's it, maybe it's about introducing a new world, a new history. You know, we talked about that trailer and the relevancy of of diversity and culture and what it meant to be American rather than, you know, the other two movies that did focus on very in my opinion very white historical representation of Americans. Yeah. I think the show is going to definitely tap into the the immigrant side, the the mixed uh culture of being an immigrant living in America or coming from an immigrant family. Uh, that is 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 from America. I, I don't know. I'm 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 I would be interested to see if they can somehow, again, I'm going to use this word cross pollinate from from the show into the movie to help give the movie a little bit more weight and maybe bring some of those characters over and some of the mystery. Well, I think that's an that's an interesting idea, right? Because I think we've got audiences who I think they're you know we say this all the time, but they're trying to force Awakens eyes. The the national treasure yeah, cinematic sequels. universe, it's... right, right, and so they're they're doing that, and and if they're getting people on board from this being their starting point, right, how can they bring those people into the franchise as a whole, and then into the movie? Like, do we get a season two with like a cliffhanger, or even a season three with a cliffhanger that ties directly into uh, a national treasure three? And I think Nick Cage showing up and saying we've got to go on this adventure would be really cool. I'm just wondering how much, you know, they're they're already in talks with each other. They have to be. I think you got to imagine they've already gotten feedback from test audiences for the show, right? And so they've they've probably been able to navigate whether or not it's 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 a good idea to to blend those storylines. I, I I think it'll be interesting cuz I I could see it going either way. Like I could see them wholeheartedly like finding out like, "Oh, the the show really isn't going to get past a season one. It's not doing that well. And, uh, and so we're just going to, you know, imagine that that didn't happen and bring it right back to the movies. I hope that's not the case. Like I do want the show to succeed based on the cast and the premise, but, um, but I'm not, I don't know, man. It, it really, for me, I think it could go either way. Yeah. And we know in the series, Justin, uh, Justin Bartha mm-hmm. is, is returning. And, you know, that's enough of a connective tissue to at least let us know that the world of, of n- that Nicolas Cage, you know, his Benjamin Franklin Gates, you know, character is out there in, in the world where the series is taking place. Um, I don't think it's that far fetched to say that, that they can they can connect those stories. But I think it's just a matter of updating the tone. So making it a little bit more fresh and modern, but keeping that consistency from the series into the movie with maybe a little bit more of elevated stakes because you you are getting into a more cinematic or, or movie adventure level style story. We'll have to see if, if uh, this movie stays on track. But, uh, but listen, let's get to our fourth and final story. Kind of a two-part story here. Um, you know, Jeff Keighley's opening night live uh, happened today as of this recording for Gamescom uh, 2022 in Germany. Uh, and uh, there were a few things that were announced, and then there was something that was announced a, a few days ago. But I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about them because they kind of they work together. So uh, this first story here, DualSense Edge Wireless Controller announced. Uh, this is coming from PlayStation Blog. Today we are thrilled to unveil the DualSense Edge wireless controller for PlayStation 5, uh, the first ever high-performance ultra-customizable controller uh, developed by Sony Interactive Entertainment, designed to give you an edge 
Uh, that's based on the name. Uh, <laughs> in gameplay, by allowing you to create custom controls, the DualSense Edge wireless controller invites you to craft your own unique gaming experience tailored to your play style. In the months ahead, we look forward to sharing more details about the DualSense Edge wireless controller, including launch timing, and can't wait to see how the PS5 community unlocks the full potential of the controller's customizing customization options. Um, it's going to come with a case that you can charge it in. It's got back buttons, remappable controls. Justin, have you ever been interested in these these pro customizable controllers? Have you ever kind of tried those tried them out before? I haven't tried them. I've always been interested in them because I, I didn't realize they existed. I think it was actually you that might have introduced me to the idea that you can do that. And mm -hmm. I know that that people have been able to get like I guess uh, th third party options for. For the yes. PlayStation, if I'm not mistaken, which is really which makes this really interesting because Sony is now saying, "No, no, no, we'll, 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 we're going to start doing that." Mm -hmm. um, and and I think the the DualSense technology that's in this controller, like I don't think we've fully unlocked it. We haven't really gotten the full potential. Well, I haven't at least. I know you game far more frequently than myself, but mm. you know from the games that I've been playing on my PS5, I haven't really seen the full utilization of this controller. So I'm hoping that, you know, again, with the introduction of this new controller and obviously with new games on the horizon for for this the, the platform, uh, the, the two will go hand in hand and it'll really create an enhanced experience. But this thing looks crazy. Yeah, it like, looks sick. You know, you can adjust the sticks. You can, you can ha you have like additional dials and stuff like mm -hmm. that for, for, for all sorts of stuff. So I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm definitely, I, I'm pretty sure I'll pick one up for sure. Yeah, it looks really neat. It looks like it's uh, kind of got, you know, if you've seen a DualSense controller on the PS5, instead of the white face buttons, it's black face buttons. Um, it's got a, uh, um, instead of a matte finish, it looks like a gloss finish. Uh, on the bottom part, on the black part, um, and then of course it does have the the adjustable grips uh, and and sort of buttons on the back end there. And it also looks like you are able to adjust the the amount of I guess give on the triggers, uh, which is common for these these controllers. But I'm wondering how that actually works with the Dual Sense, given the haptic feedback, right, and how that actually works. And I think it's cool the fact that you can have. Um, you know, custom, uh, uh, you know, uh, profiles for the controller in, and I believe it, they said it actually links to your actual profile. So by logging in yes. with one person, if you're logging in and holding the controller, it switches. Um, I do have, I do own a, a pro controller on the other side of things. I have the, uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, uh, Halo Master Chief 117 Elite 2, uh, controller. Um, and I gotta say, I'm, I love, I think the thing that I like about it the most isn't even the fact that I can click little buttons on the back if I want to make my character jump or reload without having to move my uh, my fingers off of certain buttons or, or sticks. I think the thing that I love about it the most is the weight. So I'm really hoping that this this controller, just based off the fact that it has all this additional stuff on it and in it, that that it's going to be heavier. Because I, I do think that just even it feeling heavier feels more premium. Like it feels like a, it's just like a... I don't know. It sounds so silly, but like as a gamer, you know, you you don't want to be holding plastic controllers. Like you want to, it's like a tool. You know what I mean? It's a tool to bring you into these other worlds. And so I, I don't know. It makes me, it makes it, it, it honestly, it, it takes some of that immaturity out of the gaming space um, that I think it is unfortunately still known for. And so I think, uh, I think, you know, if they can, make this thing feel even more premium than the DualSense, I'm so in. It really does get in on the idea of customization, which I think 
is very relevant for today. Everyone wants things customized to their own liking, right. to their own settings, to their own lifestyle, even if you would. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, again, Sony tapping into the idea of, of selling their own um, pro level, adjustable, customizable controller. Like, I think that's that's a huge win for them. And, and also with their technology of the DualSense at the center of it, like, yeah, it's... It's gonna do well, and there's there's some rumors that uh, people are saying that it might you know on the on the blog itself, um, people are saying this might come out in November alongside God of War Ragnarok because um, I think one of the one of the things is saying like whether you're facing the Norse gods and monsters in God of War Ragnarok or rival players in an online battle royale, um, so I think I think just with that little hint there, people are thinking this might come out at that time, and I I would even be curious to see if we get a um a, like a special edition version of this controller that is god of war themed i think would be absolutely nuts it would sell like crazy and that's that's if you can even get your hands on anything playstation 5 by that point because the consoles are still selling out extremely fast uh, but listen there's one more playstation story that i wanted to quickly cu- talk about uh, and this happened a few days ago psvr 2 playstation's next gen vr headset will be coming sometime in early 2023 uh, this comes from matt kim at ign according to multiple playstation social media sites across twitter and instagram the next gen playstation vr headset has locked in a release window sometime in the early months of next year. The window has con- uh, was confirmed on PlayStation's official Instagram account as well as numerous PlayStation regional Twitter accounts from France and Brazil. PSVR 2 is Sony's next virtual reality headset. According to Sony, PSVR 2 will feature an OLED display with 2000 by 2040 pixels per eye and a refresh rate of up to 120 hertz. Um, it utilizes inside, uh, inside-out eye tracking and will have a 110 degree field of view. Sony also announced that PSVR 2 will have over 20 games at launch. The company is also developing exclusive VR games for the headset, including Horizon Call of the Mountain, based on the popular Horizon series. So, Justin, is this is this what's going to be? Is this what it's going to take to get you into a VR headset? What is your experience with VR? I've experienced VR, I think, <clears throat> with you twice. Um, I think the first time was at Fan Expo, and then the second oh, yeah. time. Was at a house party. Yes, that's what we do at a house party. We, uh, we do VR. So, hundred uh, percent. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, it was an interesting experience. I don't know if I'm. I'm really. I think this is where age kind of becomes that that factor. It's like mm. VR is is interesting. Don't get me wrong, and, and especially in a educational way, I, I think it's really cool. Yeah. I think from a gaming standpoint, it's 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 a little disorienting for me. Mm. I don't necessarily have, uh, I feel like I'm slower on the reactions and reflexes. Mm-hmm. I think that was most evident when I did it for the first time, which again, it's my first time, but right. I think we were playing Iron Man at Fan Expo in yep. 2019. Yep. Um, and yeah, it might've been 2019, 2018, I think might've been it either too, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a different experience that I wasn't necessarily like, whoa, life changing. Like, I've I've seen some VR experiences where it's just you know you're looking at nature and stuff like that, and that's been more of a whoa, this is an right. intense sort of spirit experience. But I'm not necessarily interacting with the game. I think the only game I really enjoyed in VR was Beat Sabers. Yeah, I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, Beat Sabers, fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, I think great. I think the 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 exercise world has definitely embraced uh, Beat Saber, and there's a bunch of other games as well for the for the Oculus and and different things like that. I think for me, I'm 
you know, I, I'm I'm all in on VR as much as we possibly can. However, that being said, my PSVR one is is in my closet because PlayStation Five came out, didn't have a way to hook it up, and you need to order an adapter cable. I never did, and it just sort of sat there. And honestly, I'm looking forward to some of these games like Iron Man VR, like um, like Moss Two, for instance, uh, to to come out hopefully for the PSVR Two, which I do plan on on picking up. Um, I'm just hoping that we get more support for it than we did with the PSVR One. Yeah. Um, and I think the only thing that's kind of bumming me out. Is that it's it's uh, still attached to uh, the the console. That being said, it is through a single USB C cable, uh, which is really nice considering the fact that like the original one, if you've ever set up a PSVR, it is like a snake parade. Like there is like cables plugging into like a box that plugs into other cables that plugs into the wall that then plugs into your console, and it's just. It's a headache to, to set it up and, and to take it down. So to the fact that the idea of just being able to plug in a single USB-C port onto the front of your PlayStation 5, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. So I'm, I'm very intrigued. And the, 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 the better tech that's going into it seems like it's going to be uh, a good experience. It sounds like you have a little bit of buyer's remorse for that first one. Jeez, like that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> well, here's right? the thing. Like, I, I also, it shows, yeah. it, shows the, it shows that Sony didn't even really care enough too to give a proper support system so that you could carry over right the vr1 to to your ps5 experience they were either like oh we're just going to come out with the vr2 sooner yeah. and that probably got delayed or they were just like we're going to work on something better because i think the first story that you i think the first theory that you had there is is what it was i think i think covid really messed up these plans for psvr because i i will say like they were they were putting out a, a decent amount of games but there wasn't enough first party support like the fact that they they've already announced a horizon vr game and there's already footage out for it and, and gameplay like that to me is is a little more promising for for this next version of psvr that we're gonna maybe get more first party stuff because i think that's the main thing i don't think you can rely on indies to draw in that audience for a for a um a headset that you need a PS5 for as well. Because if it's just indies that that an audience is going to care about, they're going to go and pick up the MetaQuest 2. You know what I mean? Like that's a cheaper alternative, an all-in-one unit. It doesn't have maybe the same graphical prowess as this might have. But, it, you know, if people, you know... It's, it, again, it, the idea is like if it's God of War, if it's Horizon... Right, if if it's these these yeah, staple games, there's right? If you're bringing connected. in Spider-Man, yeah. you know, Insomniac's X-Men, or sorry, Wolverine, um, for for PSVR two, that's what's going to drive your your sales, right? Yeah, so. it's it's the properties, it's the games. It, yeah. That's definitely that's why there's a big line between Xbox and you know PS five. It's based on what games you like to play and what's accessible on on those consoles, right? So yeah, that makes total sense as a strategy to help push this technology so yeah there's a lot of games coming out that will help sell that vr for sure hopefully hopefully well listen that is it for news um i've got to just quickly check in is kevin here did we get kevin here it's trailer time all right our first trailer here the greatest beer run ever this is directed by peter Farley. Uh, or fairly, um, the description is Farley, as fa yeah. is it Farley? <laughs> well, Chicky wants to support his friends fighting in Vietnam, so he does something wild. 
personally bring them American beer. What starts as a well-meaning journey quickly changes Chicky's life and perspective based on a true story. This is starring Zac Efron, Russell Crowe, and Bill Murray alongside Archie Raynaud, uh, Jake Picking, Will Ropp, uh, and Kyle Allen. And this is streaming exclusively on Apple TV Plus on September 30th, 2022. Justin, what did you think of the trailer for the greatest beer run ever? I I was very surprised by it. I <clears throat> I think this movie is going to be a lot of fun, uh, especially coming from from Peter Farley, one, one of the two from the Farley brothers who's directed some pretty fun quirky movies mm-hmm. uh, are you familiar with the farley brothers uh nate i mean outside of dumb and dumber work? i don't think so yeah so apart from dumb and dumber they've done uh kingpin uh there's something about mary uh me myself and irene also with jim carrey osmosis jones i don't know if you ever saw oh that i loved Howell. osmosis jones <laughs> right shallow yeah. how okay. shallow how okay. they, they did stuck on you uh fever pitch which was a great one heartbreak kid hall pass Three Stooges, like they've they've done a a, a bunch, and Peter Farley did uh, Green Book, which mm. won him an Academy Award. Um, I saw that movie a long time ago, and I saw it once, and it was it had the right balance of drama and comedy, um, but it was also very biogra- biographical uh, in nature, based on 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 its topic. And here you have yet again a balance of comedy and drama, but then there's this sense of war style adventure i think this is going to be a lot of fun i think this is going to be another one of those oscar contenders especially with Mm. a performance from zach efron um in this movie it looks like you know him juxtaposed with with someone like russell crowe who is obviously a journalist covering the war yeah and his buddies who are soldiers you know he's surrounded by people that are doing what they can do to support the cause, right? Soldiers fighting, a journalist telling the story. And here he is, uh, Chicky, dropping beers for the soldiers, which is serving as almost like the underdog hero story here. It's it's very much like a, uh, it feels, th- this trailer very much captures the idea of how his, his efforts served as a moral boost for these soldiers and for these people to understand what they were fighting for or what they were, were, were fighting uh, in, in Nam again that's a war that the US should have never gotten into and that's a whole other topic right but the idea that they're that his friends and all of his you know maybe even family we haven't really fully explored that are off in this war fighting and he feels like he's doing nothing he he wants to give back he wants to help those people that are are giving their life aimlessly for a cause that they don't need to be involved, right? There was a lot of discussion in around that time about right. why the U.S. was involved in that. It looks like a very different role than we're used to with, with Zac Efron, which I'm kind of excited about. I think fantastic stash, like that chicky stash, like that is a nice mustache. I do I do wonder on, like, I think it's going to focus on, um, like, the good and the bad of the military during the Vietnam War. I, there's one character that says, like, you don't know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Um, and I've heard some critics say, like, after seeing this trailer, that they're worried that it, it could glamorize the, the U.S. military during this time. But I kind of I kind of get the impression that it's going to do the opposite. Like, I think maybe we see Chicky learn that there there's good and bad on both sides and like his impressions or what his sort of um, thoughts of what the war is. He doesn't even have he has no idea going into this of what to expect. And and this experience is what changes him. And there's this really um, intriguing scene where um, he's just standing on the road 
and and there's just this little like Vietnamese girl like just standing there crying and so I'm just I'm really intrigued by you know where this this movie is gonna go and I think you're right like we could be seeing like a a potential Oscar level performance from Zac Efron at least maybe a nomination I'm I'm very intrigued by this trailer it it, it, it I think it's gonna be really great yeah I was I was also thinking of the scene when he's in the helicopter in the trailer and it looks like they're holding someone outside of the helicopter and uh, Chicky doesn't understand why and he seems to be kind of getting like like just like whoa 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 like stop like like yeah. you're being too aggressive like almost standing up like i i absolutely think you're right I, I don't necessarily think that this is going to glorify the american military i think it's actually going to very much like all the other content in and around nom questions the milk the american military's role and 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 their involvement in in this but i also think that it's it's also to highlight the fact that soldiers went over there because their country told them to right again zach efron looks like he's he's pulling out all he's pulling it all out of his his back pocket and he's going to give us a very drama centric performance with nuances of comedy this nuance of of i guess like a a sort of man childish you know persona sure, yeah. that that has good intentions that has that is is very motivated and 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 i think is motivated by the power of his friendship and his family with those who are are probably fighting in the war so you know zach efron might might be might, might be making a making a pull for for an oscar nomination It'd be super interesting to find out I, I do want to correct i did say streaming exclusively on apple tv plus on september 30th it, it is also going to get uh, a theatrical run as well i just don't know exactly where that is if it's going to be a limited run or if it's going to be in america and canada but um but yeah i think i think along the lines of like the show or sorry the movie speaking to not necessarily yeah glamorizing the the US military it's apple tv and if anything if we know about apple tv the a lot of the content on apple tv has a message that is uh generally rooted rooted yeah. in in uh in sort of you know trying to break down uh some things that people believe perception right? perception yes and things exactly like that. So, yeah um, exactly yeah so I, i'm looking forward i, I to totally agree with you i totally yeah. agree with you yeah i think it's gonna be really good uh let's move to our next trailer here for barbarian oh my gosh dude <laughs> okay this is written and directed by zach Kreger. uh a young woman discovers the re- the rental home she booked is already occupied by a stranger against her better judgment she decides to spend the night but soon discovers there's a lot more to fear than just an unexpected house guest. This is starring Georgina Campbell, uh, Bill Skarsgård, Justin Long, Matthew Patrick Davis, Richard Brake, Kurt, uh, Kurt Braunholer, uh, James Butler, and Zach Kreger himself, uh, and is in theaters on September 9th. Justin, this looks freaking amazing. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, I know. And, and just to give our listeners a, a heads up, we will be covering this movie yes. uh, with a special interview um with the director that said you know watching this trailer hearing the buzz around it and knowing that we we're gonna go see it and i'm like i'm not a horror movie guy i like i watch horror movies it's just i can't watch them in theaters because they really do get me and i'm like shaking and stuff (laughs) like that so i watching this trailer and thinking that i'm gonna sit in a dark theater and have freaking 50 foot screen in front of me uh, I'm 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 already terrified. I've already I'm already I'm I'm like it's like me going on like the world's scariest ride. I'm like I have to like 
work up to it and like psych myself out and just get in there and, and, and enjoy it. But this looks insane and it, and, and it looks like terrifying and there's not much that they've, that they've really given us other than this hints of like a little house that looks both demonic yet at the end, as we were talking, it looks very uh, pristine and clean. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we're going to see the evolution of how the house started that way and how it becomes this and what's what's beneath it, what's in the basement you know i love the I, I love that notion from horror movies like you know the trailers perceiving it one way and then the movie actually doing something else i think cabin in the woods if i'm not mistaken was mm -hmm. um was one with chris hemsworth and and uh, that one very much had that that notion of what you what you thought it was and then you go and you enjoy the movie and it's totally not that so i feel like that's what this movie's giving us it's one when we get there it's it's going to be something entirely different that's that's by all, I think I feel like it's going to be very thought provoking this trailer reminded me of like it reminded me of something we'd get from A24 um I think it looks like dark and 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 it, I think they're doing a bit of a fake out with Bill Skarsgård's uh character named Keith um where you know you go into this and you're like oh Pennywise is in this so he's the bad guy I definitely think they're they're doing a fake out here he's not the bad guy the audio in this trailer is nuts like if you think that you're going to be able to go to this movie and close your eyes and and be okay and not be scared like if anything if the if the audio in the movie is anything like this trailer i don't think that's going to be the case i think the noises when it when it brings up the title cards and just says like like dude and it's just quiet and i'm like oh my gosh um the producers of it and the ring which honestly maybe not it for me but like the ring that's a movie that like the imagery has still stuck with me since the day I saw it for the first time. And I feel like this movie might do the same thing as well. I think it has the potential to. Um, I also got, you know, Truman Show vibes or um, what's that one? That, uh, Don't Worry Darling, which is coming up. It gave me kind of vibes of that where you do see like the pristine version of their house. I'm wondering if if that is... Like I've got a couple theories, and and everyone that I've I've seen online is saying whatever you think it is, it's not. But um, I'm wondering if that's a reward for getting through hell. Like this is one of the many entrances into hell, and then that's what's on the other side. Because I think there's like this voiceover of this like woman being like, "It's you'll find the process pleasurable" or something like that. And then, or maybe it's like a mix of like multiverse stuff where, you know, it's or or like maybe a mix of multiverse and like severance where like they're being harvested for the, you know, their multidimensional selves are like bringing them through this house and then, and then harvesting them for like their organs or something like that. Like, I don't know, man, I'm, but I like yourself. I'm not a horror person, but there's enough in this trailer. That's making me really intrigued and, and, and ready to brave, you know, watching it in a, in a dark theater. So I'm really, yeah, I, I, I feel like I, I, I like horror movies for the, the way that they can infuse uh, a sort of dialogue or conversation in and around the tropes of of traditional horror movies. Like I, I, I did watch a lot of horror movies uh, in university when I was doing a lot of like these these film courses and stuff mm -hmm. like that to understand genre and the sort of tropes of genre and, and specifically horror. And you know, that in itself never does fully prepare you for the experience of when you go in and you watch a movie that so that feels like, as you described, based on the sound is so immersive. Even if you close your eyes, it's still terrifying you. Yeah. Um, I think that that 
that even this trailer very much captures that the power of that so uh, yeah i'm 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 excited to try to see if I can do this. <laughs> so we'll see. I, uh, yeah. Stay tuned for our review. Yes. <laughs> and we'll, we'll find out how I, how, yeah, I know I left halfway through. Yeah, I'll be like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> Justin, how much it. did you actually watch or were your eyes closed with noise canceling headphones on? Like, um, um, our next trailer is for Wednesday. Um, this is a series directed by Tim Burton. The series will be a coming of age uh, supernatural mystery comedy focusing on Wednesday Adams and her years as a high school student at Nevermore Academy, where she attempts to master her psychic powers, stop a monstrous killing spree of the town citizens, and solve a supernatural mystery that affected her family 25 years ago, all while navigating her new relationships. This is starring Jenna Ortega as Wednesday, uh, Luis Guzman, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Ricky Lindholm, Jamie McShane, and Gwendolyn Christie, and also... Christina Ricci has been confirmed to be in the series, but obviously not playing Wednesday Adams. Um, rather, she will be an unknown role uh, and has been reported to be a playing a major character uh, in the life of Wednesday Adams. This is streaming exclusively on Netflix uh, with no date so far, but just as coming this fall. Justin, what did you think of their, our first look at Wednesday? Well, look, you started this trailer time with with a good comedy adventure we got into the horror and here is the the sort of merge merging of the two <laughs> sure. you got this comedy dark comedy horror-esque uh series that that does seem to be very uh family centric but also uh at the same time pulling out one character to help center the series around wednesday i think this is going to be tons of fun this trailer looks uh looks great i think it's it's a refreshing uh, take on on the Adams family while still leaning into the nostalgia of of them uh, of those characters and and that look and that gothic vibe uh, that that is very reminiscent of of the Adams family. Um, I'm interested to see if we'll see some other characters uh, like Uncle Uncle Fester, if I'm not mistaken, is his name, right? And, and you know, cousin It, cousin It would be if crazy. they'll show up if they just show up for like an episode or, or a reference in some way. Um, but I do like the idea of, of centering like centering on, on one character in the family to help tell this, this larger story and still connect back to the family. Cause I think maybe that's where the Adams family it, it's, it's great. That's been their anchor, the sort of dark family, if you will. But I, I like the idea of maybe steering it in a different direction to still tell a, a very meaningful story that's centered around the family. Yeah, I, I, I will say I was a little worried at first uh, with this trailer. Um, I, I don't know what happened. I, I, I know there's like a big splash screen on the screen at some point in the trailer where it says like from director Tim Burton. But like before we got there, I got major um, Netflix's Chilling Adventures of Sabrina vibe. Which did you ever watch the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina? Right. I. No, because like, yeah, same. Like I watched a lot of the first season and then fell off of it. And for me personally, like I found that the show, that show didn't break far enough away from the CW, um, you know, what is that? Riverdale sort of, I think they even did like a crossover with Riverdale. And like, honestly, dude, it's just that, that stuff isn't for me. And so I was really worried for this trailer based on what I saw until we get that title card that comes up and says directed by Tim Burton. And then I'm like, okay. You you got me back. I think it looks great. It looks dark. The 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 what does she have? Like those those fish, the piranhas in the pool uh, is just absolutely fantastic. So I think you know I think as as long as they can stay away from the cheesy high school drama 
side of things and focus on her as a character and her almost um, not necessarily like like I, I, I don't, they don't need to be completely devoid of of a high school teenager's life because obviously they're going to focus on her you know, becoming somewhat of a normal teenager with her friend that she meets and what have you. Right. But I, I, I just don't want, like, don't get into like a love story. Don't get into like, uh, you know, all the just crap that comes out of the CW. And I think, I don't know. I think with Tim Burton behind it, I think that it's got the, the right people behind it. And I think the fact that it looks more like the comic books is a great way to set it apart from the live action versions that we've gotten before. And, Yep. The snap that she does mm-hmm. at the end is like mm-hmm. iconic. So I think they're I think they've got the right people behind it. I just I'm gonna go in a little apprehensive yeah. on this one. For sure. And and that's that's fair. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that, you know, from the, the mind of, of Tim Burton means that it is going to have a playful, dark nature to it. And I think what's always interesting is that with Tim Burton, especially if you think of things like Edward Scissorhands, mm-hmm. even even Beetlejuice to a certain degree, he he's infusing his dark sort of sadistic tone into the the staple norma- normality uh, of of every day. So I actually like that maybe this does feel a little CW, but then you throw in the Tim Burton vibe with this sort of dark, playful humor, which I hope skews far more dark because. Mm-hmm. I don't know, dropping a bunch of piranhas in a pool and that guy got his nuts gets, bitten off. I don't Yeah. 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 So something something's gonna happen to his junk for sure. Yeah. And there was a lot of blood. So I, I feel like just in that that little bit alone, hopefully that's not the darkest that we got. Yeah. Because that's a, a huge spoiler. So I hope we get a little bit more darker. But the idea of even just infusing an adventure here. I like the idea of maybe her unraveling a mystery around you know deaths in the in the town and maybe her family having some sort of connection to some sort of spiritual or monster level threat that that is is reigning terror in the town so i don't know it it, it has the makings i'm i i will i will wait and see how how it is i'm excited to see it though yeah. i'm excited to see what it's it's all about yeah yeah i'm 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 intrigued to say the least i think i think the the girl they have playing Wednesday looks perfect for the role, and I think she'll obviously do a good job of carrying it. But I mean, the same thing was said about uh, the the actress that plays Sabrina, right? And and that series again just didn't didn't quite get there for me, and I don't know if it's gotten there for a lot of people. Um, but that is it for trailer time. Uh, let's let's go ahead and get into watch it, Justin. I can't I can't hold off any longer, my guy. I cannot hold off. It feels so good to be back in Westeros. Let's talk about House of the Dragon. Um, we'll try to keep things spoiler-free for like a few minutes, but then afterwards, like we might just dive right into it. I don't even know. I don't even know, dude. Like, how, how did you <laughs> how did you feel about this uh, this first episode? Well, the first episode was was great. Like you said, it, it's great to be back in Westeros. Like even the way the landscape and, and seeing dragons fly uh, amongst uh, 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 the, the 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 castles and and the town and and whatnot. It was it was fantastic to to be back to hear the score. Oh. Uh, Raman Javadi's you know, score, dude. Like the moment you get the, I'm like, that's not fair. Like that's not fair, dude. Like you can't just do that to us. Oh my gosh. And and I think that that's what this first episode really just had to do. It just had to reintroduce us to the world that we know and love and it had its sex, it had its gore. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, there was blood, there was fighting, you know, there was some fucked up family tension, you know, and and some also some questionable romantic 
vibes that were going on oh, yeah. uh, between family members about quote unquote keeping things pure um which are more implied than they are addressed but we we're, we're game of thrones fans we know yeah. that that is the case and and that at this point in time where where the stories are what i love too in this first episode uh, just just right off the top is is that title card. There's a title card that shows up that kind of sets up where in the timeline of Game of Thrones yeah. series ask where we are. So they 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 write a spiel and then it says 172 years uh, before before Daenerys. Uh, and I love how how so they they like really held your hand for that. Out. Yeah, <laughs> they fade yeah, it yeah, out. So yeah, it just yeah, says yeah, yeah. 172 yeah. years Daenerys Targaryen, and you're like, okay, I know where we yeah. are. I get it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And well, you know how far removed you are. Right. So that way, as as a fan, you know, you're not going to get Jon Snow references yeah. or or Daenerys. References we're not going to get the Mad or, King you know, in this. Like right. Like, yeah, it, exactly. We're not we're not getting that sort of stuff. So this takes place well before all of that. So and it's nice to be so removed. I have to say it it, it is nice, but to also feel to understand how familiar all of it feels at the same time, even though we're 172 years yeah. before the events of Daenerys. I'm going to get a little bit more uh, spoilery here. Like, if you want our spoilery, spoiler-free thoughts completely, they're on our Twitter. But, um, like, I thought there was a more storied opener. It was weird to hear narration uh, for the first part of the episode. But the fact that it was done, done by uh, Emma D'Arcy, who plays the older version of Rhaenyra, um, I think was cool because I think that obviously ties into where we're going to see her um, probably in the next episode. But dude, like the dragons, man, like Rhaenyra's golden dragon, <laughs> like to just see her flying in on that was so dope. I think I honestly, young Rhaenyra is fantastic. Um, I think um, what's her, her name is uh, Millie Alcock is fantastic. I think she really carried this episode Um you know, there's, there's, a, there's. I, I think the the coolest thing about Game of Thrones is just how they manage to continue, and they do this in the show. They continue the the sort of consistent feeling of like having you second guess all these characters. Where like, you know, Otto Hightower, right? At first, I'm like, this guy's the only guy that's got his head on his shoulders. Like he he's the hand of the king. He's trying to guide the king in the right direction. This guy, I like this guy. I like him. Um, played by Reese Iffins, who is um, Doc Connors, right? And so I'm like, cool, this guy's great. But then we get to a moment where he starts uh, setting up his daughter with King Viserys, like pimping her out. And I was just like, dude, like, no, you're an asshole now. Like, like it's just like, it's, it's crazy how quickly within one episode they can shift. And I think that's one of the best parts about Game of Thrones, where even with someone like Allison, I'm like, cool, Allison's, Allison's dope. She seems like a great friend to to Rhaenyra's. And then all of a sudden, she, like, it kind of feels like she's going along with it. Like, she knows the plan. Like, she's, I don't know if she's so much a victim as she's also yeah. playing the game. Like, she's an enabler. It's yeah, crazy, she's playing the game. Exactly. Man. Like, but that's, yeah. that is the overarching theme from Game of Thrones that finds its way 172 years before the events yeah. of Daenerys power man like and you don't trust anybody everybody's out for themselves right like again everything about this first episode just felt overly familiar mm -hmm. at certain points though it did feel like it was just there for the sake of being there sure like there's a kill scene there's a bunch of kill scenes Damon like creates the gold cloaks and then they go and chop people's balls off and 
Yeah, the, to to show their strength and power, right. and that they won't tolerate thievery and and all of this stuff. And it just it was it just all felt like it was happening for the sake of it to just say this is this is Game of Thrones. Yeah, and then there's like a really you know a sad sex scene as you were as you referenced with with that same character mm-hmm. Damon. And yeah, I read a rev- I read a reviewer yeah. or an article. It was like he's the saddest boy at the orgy. Just <laughs> like yeah, yeah, he really exactly. Is. Yeah, and and. So and and again, like just another reminder that that's the sort of the level of of adult maturity that goes into this series. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. some of it felt very much just there for the sake of it as a reminder of Game of Thrones. But to me, the far the far more interesting part was obviously the family dynamic, yeah. the sort of drama, the hunger for power, and and the idea of you just can't trust anyone. And and that to me, beyond the gore and the sex, is is what makes Game of Thrones so interesting because it's politics. And I think the I think yeah, like like you said, like we get the politics. We we see that this is a peaceful time for the kingdom and and for the for the lands of Westeros and and it's 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 but you can see all the whispers in the background and the fact that we start off this episode with a brutal double I guess murder in a way of of the king's wife and child. Like that was like I had, I had friends of mine who I talked to about this, and they're like, "Oh, I skipped, I skipped that. I didn't watch, that. <laughs> I didn't watch that seven minutes." And I'm like, "Dude, I completely, I did, but I understand why you might not, because that was, that was brutal. That was absolutely brutal. And the fact that that's our first episode, like I would expect that from like a, a season two, but, thing or a season sure. three thing for but the you- show. But I guess because we're already here." after seeing Game of Thrones, like they're expecting that you've already lived through those types of experiences with Game of Thrones. They're like, cool, you can feel like crap right away. It did set a tone, but again, I feel like it injected that element for the sake of it. Like you said, for those Game of Thrones fans who have stuck through this entire series and have come all that way, for them to see something like that, it's kind of like, oh, that's to be expected. I, I liked what they ended off with and really just affirming her as an heir to Veneres, uh as as a as as the next in kin for for, for Viserys. There's so many names for Viserys. I don't. I don't. I'm never yeah, going to be upset Viserys. with you, Justin, for getting these names uh, <laughs> <laughs> incorrectly pronounced. Because honestly, like, and that's the thing too. Like, I spent the entire. I think it's like an hour and something minutes. Like, I spent the entire time like hearing like, oh, they said Baratheon. Oh, they said they said Rickon Stark. Oh, and it's like. I had to keep reminding myself, no, dude, this is 172 years earlier. Obviously, there's going to be family yeah, but names. There's lineage. Right? Obviously, there's going to be lineage. Yeah, there's still lineage. But, yeah. but we're not, there's, this is not going to directly connect in any way. And I think that's what's, for me, really exciting about it. And I know that there's a lot of people that have read the books that these are based on. But I'm so, I'm just happy to be back in, a, in Westeros, but with like a, a void of knowledge in a way, in a sense, just knowing that, like, hey, we're so far removed literally anything can happen it's so fresh and so new for me and um yeah i will say though um i would be down like i know we're getting more like this is a spin-off we're getting more spin-offs with, with the the um there's like a isn't there a, a, a there's a john snow series already in development that's uh that he he talked about but like dude imagine like a, a house of the wolf the story of Bran the Builder, like I think that would be really dope. I mean, or like they could do something like they could show us Robert's Rebellion, right? Like House of the Stag, 
right? And just like just continue this theming of like the house of the. I don't know. I think that would be really cool. Like like if they wanted to keep these spinoffs going. I know that I'm a I'm I I always talk all the time. I talk crap about like the fact that like um, that Walking Dead has like 900 different spinoffs. <laughs> And it just like stop with the spinoffs, sure. and here I am but, like, give me nine spinoffs of Game of Thrones, but but here I don't know. here is a world here's a world that does kind of have the merit to go the distance with that. Yeah. I I also think that a lot of the success of Game of the of Game of Thrones with that backstory is the fact that we don't see it, mm-hmm. that we don't see all those elements, and that we they they chose to show us specific things. You know, like the birth of Jon Snow and 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 whatnot from from Ned Stark at a young age mm-hmm. and, and his interaction and so on and so forth through Bran and and obviously um, all, all the stuff that we did get to see of the past. So what's nice is that they're not they're not they're going back and they're going very far back to the events that that were referenced in the series but were never fully delved into. Right. Whereas, like you know. Robert's Rebellion, I think we delved into that to a certain point that, that very much the, the events of Game of Thrones were very much influenced by the events of, of Robert's right, Rebellion. Right, I guess, yeah. Um, right, you know what I mean? Like, so it's nice that we're so, we're, we're outside of that as well in terms of where this story picks up that, as you mentioned, it's it's fresh, it's new, but it still feels familiar. It's it's a new power struggle uh, story that that is going to unfold. So yeah, the only negative I'll, I'll say, I think, like this 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 premiere really blew me away. Like I, I honestly think it was fantastic. Um, but I I will say the opening credits was very lacking for me. Like the golden dragon symbol next episode in comparison. You think they will? You think they're gonna have a, a an they, opening? It's it was confirmed. Oh really? It was confirmed. Okay, my yes. theory. I mean, I'm gonna predict it now, and then we'll see if I'm right. I think you know how uh, King Viserys is carving out in like that white stone. He's carving the what looks like um, the Red Keep or, or or King's Landing. Like he's carving it all out. That's what that's what we fly across is that carving. Like we get to see different parts mm. of that, and it's all in white because, like again, that's very much a a color of the Targaryens, right? Like their their pure white hair and everything. So Mm -hmm. I think I could totally see them just flying around that. That's my theory. That's my theory. Hopefully uh, I'm correct. And then I'll win a million dollars. That's how that works. (laughs) Well, we'll see. Uh, That is it for this week in Geek. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you want to write into the show with your thoughts on this week's news or any of the content we cover here, uh, well, listen, let me just, uh, I'm going to just send you over to to Justin with a, a mighty dragon, like, Roar, can you put that in post, Justin? Ah! Like, replace what I just did, but with a dragon roar, okay? I don't think I will, <laughs> no, but uh, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or they can reach out to us on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. And, hey, while you're there, why don't you give us a follow? Take a look at our stuff. See what, we, see what we're up to. Totally. Keep in mind, we have a ton of other great episodes covering the latest in movies, TV shows, and games, uh, as well as we have uh, an interview out right now. We actually have two interviews uh, in the same episode with director of She-Hulk, attorney at law, Kat Coiro, and head writer and executive producer, Jessica Gao. Justin got a chance to sit down with them uh, and discuss the various ways in which they implemented their own experiences into She-Hulk. So you can definitely check that out on podcast services, but you can also check it out on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. 
if you want to see our beautiful faces. Uh, and definitely check out Jessica Gao's shirt that she was wearing. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, also, if that's not enough for you, we also have our spoiler-free reviews for Marvel's I Am Groot, Netflix's Day Shift, and The Sandman, also from Netflix. We have uh, a spoiler-free review for Skydance Animation's Luck, as well as Prey from Hulu and Disney+. Plus. We also have our weekly watch club, uh, where we break down and give our theories weekly with our, our current watch club uh, for She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, coming out on the same day as the episodes on Disney+, Plus for the next two weeks, and then on Fridays after episode three. And lastly, we are super stoked to let you know that Geekcentric has been accredited for Fan Expo Canada 2022. We have no idea what we're going to be doing there uh, or, or who we're going to get a chance to speak to, but we are just, uh, hopefully you are just as excited as we are. Uh, so definitely, you know, subscribe, click the bell, click on the thing, do all the things, subscribe to our socials, uh, and leave us again a five-star review if you don't mind. Justin, thank you so much for joining me for This Week in Geek. And as we say, love ya. Peace. <laughs>